0: Why don't you, uh, as you find your seats, why don't you get your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 26. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, again, you can follow along on uh, the Bible app on your phone or you'll notice that our ushers are coming around. They would love to give you uh, a copy of God's Word. We want you to have that in front of you. We love to study the Bible together. Uh, We are going to take the next two weeks and kind of unpack what we talked about last week, this idea of 100 stories. So, so let me just answer that, like, what in the world is 100 stories? Well, 100 stories is a vision. It's our vision for this new season that God has us in, because we believe that God has given us some real clarity for why we are here. Why? Why? Why is there a harvest in Fairfax? We live in in kind of a a unique context and a unique culture and community around here. Would you agree? Uh, Northern Virginia is kind of an interesting place to live. i got to be honest, I love living here. This is awesome. We love being here. I'm so glad that God has us here. And yet all of us, while we love it, we kind of love this area. We love what life is like in Northern Virginia. We would all kind of agree that life kind of needs some transformation around here as well. And that's really the problem. And I think that's given us some real clarity for why we're here. Lives in Northern Virginia need to be transformed. That's the problem what's the answer? What, what is it that's going to change? What, what is it that's going to bring that transformation? As we saw last week, it's, it's beholding God's glory that brings the transformation. I want you to see this. I, I would love for you to have this memorized. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, We are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. When we see God's glory, it changes our lives. And that's what we're pursuing around here. We want to pursue the presence of God every Sunday when we gather together to worship Him. we want to pursue his presence in in communities in our in our small groups as we gather together it's it's kind of unique we don't have communities like that around this area we're we're going to experience his glory there and we want to pursue his glory as we go knowing that he's going with us and we want to see other people transformed by his glory we said that 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 god's glory is kind of like it's like a waterfall right if you were standing under a waterfall, now we, we, we shot that video at, at Great Falls. Uh, I've got to be honest, it would have been so much better if we had shot it like Niagara Falls or something like that. Can you just picture Niagara Falls trying to stand underneath a waterfall? It would be overwhelming. It would knock you down. God's glory is overwhelming, and yet it's also it's refreshing. It is satisfying. Once you've tasted that, you're like, why would I want anything else? He's what I want. And when we are standing under the waterfall of God's glory, drenched in His presence, we will be changed. So this is the question that's driving everything that we do this year. What if God wrote 100 stories this year of lives transformed by His glory? Father, I'm just praying that you would do it. God, I'm excited to see the stories that have already come in as as we're we're unleashing our our creatives. We want to tell, we want to capture these stories. We want to tell them well because it's the work that you are doing. God, we want to be in a place where you are at work and we see it happening. We see lives being changed. Even this week, seeing someone give their life to Christ I praise you for that. God, you can do the work. And I pray that you would continue to do this in our midst. God, I'm praying that we would be expected, even this morning as we are meeting with you, that we're going to see your glory. We all, with unveiled face, beholding your glory, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's your work, and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you already have the big idea, so there it is. Acts chapter 26, the big idea this morning. Uh, We're looking at this, that God's glory will overwhelm me and change my story. We are picking up in Acts chapter 26 and I realize that a lot of times when we jump into the middle, this isn't our MO, normally we just like get into a book of the Bible and we just kind of work verse by verse. So when we drop right into the middle of something, sometimes we need a little bit of context. We're like, what is he talking about? What's going on here? Because we need the backstory. So let me give you the backstory. I've got a picture up here that's going to help. Okay, so this is taken from the Bible project. They've got some really great tools of, of kind of some bible uh, survey overview of what's going on here's what's been happening in, in the chapters leading up to acts chapter 26 okay paul is going around and he's sharing the gospel and the jews they don't like that he got arrested and the jews the sanhedrin they're down here saying man we got to kill this guy we want to get rid of him and 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 they even make a, a vow they're like man we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna eat we're not gonna drink anything until we get paul killed And so they send him up to Caesarea to Governor Felix up here. And Governor Felix listens to the Jews and they're complaining and uh, and trying to bring accusations so that the governor will put him to death. He doesn't really see anything in that. He's like, I don't really see anything worthy of death. And he doesn't really know what to do with Paul. So he just kind of leaves him there. In fact, he actually leaves Paul in prison for about two years. And then Governor Felix is out, and there's a new governor in, Governor Festus. And he hears Paul's story, and he's like, well, I'm just going to send you back down to Jerusalem where you can get tried there. And Paul's like, wait, time, time out, time out. They want to kill me in Jerusalem. Not going to be a fair trial. I appeal to Caesar. I, I want to go because Paul wanted to go to Rome. And Festus is like, well, now nah, I got to. I, you know, like, he's a Roman citizen. He's allowed to do that, so I got to send him. And, and, and meanwhile, uh, King Agrippa comes to visit Governor Festus and they're having a little buddy-buddy time, and, and Governor Festus is actually getting some advice, and he's like, hey, listen, I've got this guy, Paul, and, and, and the Jews, they want to kill him. I don't really see anything worthy of death, but uh, he appealed to Caesar, so i got to send him to Rome. I should probably send a sticky note or something that just kind of says to uh, the, you know, the Roman emperor that this is why I'm sending him along, so I don't know really what to do with about it. And, and Agrippa's like, well, I'd like to hear his story. I'll listen to him. So that's where we are, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa and he's telling his story. He's telling his, I was, but God story. So if you're there with me, Acts chapter 26, I'm going to start reading right in the middle of verse 9. I'm going to pick up right in the middle of what he's saying. Verse 9, Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I think in this text we're going to see uh, two effects of encountering God's glory. Here, here's one, if you're taking notes. Note this. This is what happens when you see God's glory. I will be overwhelmed. I will be overwhelmed. Guaranteed. So, so, so this is kind of an incredible conversion story, right? And, and I would love to look at the contrast of, of what... Paul, actually, before he was Paul, he was known as Saul. What his life was like before this. So, so before verse 9, uh, back up in verse 4 through, through uh, 8, there, he's really just explaining what his life, how he grew up. He's like, guys, you know it. Everybody else knows it. They know what I was like. I was a big time Pharisee. And verse 9 says, then I was, I was uh, convinced that I ought, there's moral obligation there. I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. So this is not just a dude that's just kind of disinterested and, and, and the, that guy that just doesn't really want to go to church. He's, he, you know, it's just not my thing. I don't really want to go. That's, that's not him. This is the guy that is intellectually and morally opposed to everything that Christianity stands for. You know somebody like that? You know somebody like that? And this might be the kind of person that like they're always bashing Christianity and, and, and they're on the offensive right this is the kind of person that, and a lot of times let's just be honest they're, they're pretty smart and, and they quote a lot of atheists and they're always bashing Christians because like we and we do we have a lot of hip, hypocrisy and, and bigotry even and they love to point that kind of stuff out they love to make Christians and Christianity look bad this is that kind of guy not exactly the kind of guy that we would consider Low-hanging fruit. The kind of, like, he's about ready to, you know, trust Jesus. No, he's not. He hates Jesus. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. But Saul also had power. Verse 10, you look at verse 10, it says that he had authority from the chief priests. So, So this isn't just some guy who's down in his basement in his undies blogging and trolling anyone who posts stuff about Jesus or their church, okay? This guy shows up with a warrant to arrest people and to murder them. Like he wants them dead, and of course, like he wouldn't get his hands dirty. He has he has people who it's kind of Jewish mafia is what's going on. He's got his people who will do that for him. But in verse eleven, it says, "In raging fury against them." I persecuted them. So I just kind of picture like an angry bull that's just snorting and stomping his hooves, just ready to charge and crush somebody. He hated Jesus, and, and, and it was so bad that he actually, after all of this, he actually had to change his name because he got such a bad reputation from this. Acts chapter 8 tells us that Saul was ravaging the church, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. And chapter 9, it says that he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples so so let's just uh, let's let's, if if that's all that you knew about this guy how many of you would be thinking oh paul's about to come to christ he's about to have come to jesus moment how many are thinking that no nobody's thinking that nobody is expecting paul to walk an aisle and put his faith and trust in jesus christ as savior It, it was this was crazy in fact even after paul had this conversion experience God said to one of his disciples, Ananias, he said, hey, Ananias, I got a job for you. I need you to go talk to Paul. He's over there praying. And Ananias, he's like, say, what? Are we talking about the same guy? Because I'm I'm pretty sure that's the guy that wants to kill people like me. I was like, yeah, something's really happened to him. See, before this, the, the, the chances of Saul actually changing are not looking good. But when God steps in, And he's confronted with glory. It was so overwhelming, it changed everything. You know that it doesn't matter how hard you fight against him or how fast you run from him. God's glory can stop you in your tracks right where you're at. God's glory can transform even the most hardened sinners. And maybe you got, I don't know, maybe you got somebody that comes to mind. You're, you're thinking about like a hundred stories. Man, I, I've got a friend. I would love for them to come to Christ. I would love for them to be one of the 100 stories that we get to tell this year. I, I would love this but I'm just not seeing it happen like there's just no way they they hate God they want nothing to do with Christianity they're they're like so opposed they are so hard-hearted there's like no way that that's going to happen I'm just going to tell you false stories are a reminder here look at what God can do look at what God can do and then maybe that's you maybe maybe you've been fighting maybe you've been ignoring God doing your own thing even though you know it's wrong and, and quite honestly you don't even know why you're here you don't even know why you keep coming to church Well, today might be your story. Because God's glory can't be ignored. God's glory is so overwhelming that it can arrest your attention even when you want nothing to do with Him. So this, verse 13, this is where it all changed. Verse 13, it says, At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light. Okay, so I just got to say, like, that's got to be a really impressive light to have that kind of a stark contrast between the sun at noon okay you you, you think about that that that's that's got to be overwhelming and 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 you you think about like if you've ever been in a dark room for a while where you know your 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 eyes get adjusted and, and and then all of a sudden somebody comes and like flips on the lights you're like whoa that's the experience that he's feeling but it's in the middle of the day and so then he gives these uh, descriptions, interesting uh, phrases that he uses to kind of describe God's glory. He says, it's a light from heaven. Meaning, it was so crazy bright, there's no way that this thing was earthly. It's like, this is supernatural. And I can't even describe it, but I'm going to do the best that I can. So the best thing that I can do is to say that it was, it, it was brighter than the sun. It, it made the sun look like a little candle. How, how many of you, a few weeks ago, you, rem- you remember the eclipse? How many of you were warned, don't look at the sun? Don't look directly at, it. How, about, like, how many warnings did we get? Like, don't look at the sun, it's too powerful. It'll do some real damage to your eyes. This is what God, this is what Paul is experiencing here as he's seeing God's glory. It is so intense that it literally knocked his eyesight out. And then he says, this, this, this light from heaven uh, that shone around me. That's an interesting phrase. That, that word there, shone around, is the Greek word peri lampo. Peri meaning like around, lampo, to shine. We can remember that, right? Lampo, sh- shining out. It's an interesting word because it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. Luke uses them. He uses it here. And the other time he uses it is in Luke chapter two when there were some shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them outside of Bethlehem and, and you see it here Luke chapter 2 verse 9 an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and what happened they were filled with great fear they're overwhelmed they're freaking out that's what happens when you see God's glory okay? and that's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 26 verse 14 Paul says and when we had all fallen to the ground God's glory dropped him When's the last time you were physically knocked down by something? that happened to you lately? Like, so football is back. You're, you're watching football. It like gets me fired up. I don't know if you guys saw this on Thursday. J.J. Watt, he just like blew somebody up to end the game. It was pretty awesome. So just picture a linebacker, right? And he just pile drives a guy into the ground. That's Paul. He just got nailed. He's laying there on the ground like, what in the world just happened to me? That's what God's glory did to him. And John, the disciple, also had an experience like this. He saw Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, John describes a time where he saw a vision and he saw Jesus. Verse 16 says, when when he saw his face, Jesus' face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Because that's what happens when you're in the presence of Jesus in all his glory. So I just got to ask, like, why is it that we come into God's presence so casually like it's no big deal? Why don't we come every Sunday with an expectation? Man, I'm about to get overwhelmed because I'm going to see the glory of God. Now, we, we, we come to church hoping that we're not going to get bored. And, and, and we want a version of God. Like Honestly, I, I would, I'd, I'd rather have God, and I'd rather think of him more like just like the man upstairs or, or some other ho-hum, uh, uh, tame, safe version of majesty. Not a threat. I don't, I don't want a threat. I, I like the, the warm fuzzies. I want God to, you know, I want, I want God to just make me feel better about myself. I like the love, 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 like he's some giant fluffy teddy bear in the sky that just wants to give me a hug. That's the kind of God that we like. And yes, he is love. He is love. And And he is the creator of the universe. And he is literally awesome. And I'm telling you, like church is not a safe place if you are looking for boring and you don't want anything to mess up your life as you know it. Small group is not a safe place. Getting up in the morning and opening up your Bible, not safe. Looking into the power of God's glory and the gospel and seeing our sin and his holiness, it's not safe because God's glory is overwhelming and it will drop you, and the only thing that you can do is to get as low as you can in, in humility. As Pastor James McDonald has says, you get as low as you can as fast as you can. Now we need some more repentance going on in the church. We need some more brokenness over sin. We need more tears, more knees bent, more hands raised, desperate because we understand when is the last time God's glory just took your breath away? When is the last time you were, literally you knew, I just got to bow in humility before his majesty? When is the last time that you were weeping and begging for forgiveness because you understood how awful my sin is in light of his holiness? God's glory is overwhelming when we're standing under that waterfall. I think we need to rediscover God for who He truly is as He's revealed Himself in His Word. When when we come and we open up our Bibles, do you know what's about to happen? When we come to sing, we need to think rightly about this God because it is no small thing to encounter the God of infinite greatness. And it'll change how we worship. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship Reverence, with reverence, respect, a deep sense of a right fear of this God, and a sense of awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And if that doesn't sound like the kind of God that you were expecting to read and sing about this morning, then today might be your story. Watch what happens when you encounter it. Uh, back to verse 14. Don't you follow along with me? We'll keep reading. So, so he saw this light, the glory of the Lord. Verse 13, verse 14. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. What in the world is a like? Anybody been, like, shopping for goads on Amazon lately? Like, no, not, not having. So, so just so you know what a goad is, so we don't get tripped up on this. This is A goad was like a pointy stick that would go on a plow, and so they would prod the oxen while they're, the, they're plowing in the field. You know, if they kick back on it, it keeps them going, right? So basically what God is telling him is, like, it's super pointless for you to try to keep resisting and be stubborn. That's what he's saying. So verse 15, I said, Who are you, Lord? Therefore, O King Agrippa, don't, don't forget he's, he's sharing his testimony, he's telling his story right here. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, Damascus by the way is where this happened, he was right outside of Damascus, that's where he got arrested by uh, the glory of the Lord on the road, and, and I love this, he starts, he, th- he doesn't wait, he starts telling his story right there. Like, I didn't have to wait a few years and take a bunch of classes. He just starts telling everybody, Jesus is it. I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. It's for this reason. The Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. But to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So here's the second effect of encountering God's glory. My story will be changed. It's pretty obvious. My story is going to be changed. Jesus Christ can change your life. just let's look at what happened again verse 15 paul is saying uh, uh he he gets like blindsided by this and and he hears this voice he says who are you lord notice he's calling him lord now like he recognizes what's going on here and jesus said i am jesus whom you are persecuted and that'd be like a sinking gut feeling right you ever been talking bad about somebody behind their back, or, or at least you thought that you were talking bad about them behind their back, and you realize like they're around the corner and they heard everything you said? Ever, has that ever happened to you? That's like an awful feeling, isn't it? You, you, you feel guilty, you feel embarrassed, you feel ashamed of yourself. Well, Saul has been doing whatever he could to oppose this name, and now he's standing in his presence. Just thinking about that, I, I'm just so impressed by it. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Kind of like he's saying, I know who you are. And I know what you've been doing. And, and, and yes, like, his presence is overwhelming. He's knocked to the ground. And, and Saul is afraid. He's in awe. But Jesus didn't come to pick a fight. Jesus is not coming in judgment. Yes, he's showing off his glory, but he's also extending his grace. And he's saying to the human enemy number one of Christianity, I got a new job for you, buddy. I'm going to send you. You are going to go and you're going to be my witness. Verse 18, you're going to tell them so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. This is a message of forgiveness that Paul has experienced, and now he gets an opportunity to go declare this. Can I tell you? Listen, God knows who you are, and he knows exactly what you've been doing. But he wants to forgive you, and he wants to give you grace. And when we see God's glory, yeah, like our, our sin, it stands out. And, and we realize, like, I deserve judgment. I deserve death. And my only hope for being saved is that Jesus took my sin, and he paid for it. And, 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 and here's the best part. Paul just saw him, okay? do you, you realize what, what I just said? Paul saw him. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. And if Jesus is alive, then I can have eternal life with him. And, and Saul was so undeserving. But now his story, even his name, has been changed and he has a new master and a new mission. Just kind of a powerful story here. And Paul got it. Paul understood. Man, I don't deserve this. I'll never deserve this. This isn't just something that you get at the beginning when when you first get saved. I always need the grace of God. In fact, Paul says at the end of his life, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Man, I'm the worst. And that's not just like some false sense of humility that is a greater sense of the worth of christ and my own unworthiness and when i when i was thinking about a hundred stories when i was thinking about like man if we if we were to encounter god's glory this year it was like a waterfall on our church if we were to experience that it's, it's overwhelming and at the forefront of my mind was god's god's holiness and god's power but, but I think this might actually press in a little bit more deeply and overwhelm my soul. It's his grace. Do you realize his grace is overwhelming? Because when I look at the cross, I remember that Jesus was hanging there for me. He didn't deserve that, I did. And I didn't deserve his grace, but he gives it freely. His grace is overwhelming. It is so great. It doesn't matter what I've done. His grace is Greater. It doesn't matter how many times I have failed. His grace is still greater. It doesn't matter how many times I choose my idols over him. His grace is still greater. It doesn't matter how many times I thought I knew better. I had a better plan than God. His grace is still greater. My sin is great. His grace is greater. And I can stand in his presence without shame, without fear, because his grace is greater. And I don't bring anything. I can boast of nothing in myself. But I get this, to tell this story that God's grace is greater greater. He's changed my life because His glory arrested my attention, stopping me in my tracks, dropping me to my knees, and showering me in forgiveness. I'm standing under the waterfall of grace just being drenched in His glory. That's the story of grace. This is what His grace will do in your life. So let's just look at, look at the contrast here. Uh, Paul has a new purpose. Verse Verse 16, uh, here's what God says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appoint you as a servant, as a witness. Verse 17, I'm, I'm sending you out. I'm going to use you now. And I love this verse 19. He's like, okay, therefore, King Rebbe, you just got to understand, your majesty, uh, he's awesome, and I'm not messing around with this God. Like, I, I had to obey, okay? There's no chance I'm disobeying this now. And, and so he's going out and he's sharing uh, the gospel, and that's why the Jews want to kill him. Because he saw Jesus in his glory and his grace, he was forever changed. That's the difference that Jesus can make in your story. It's not just like a one-time emotional thing. It is a life-altering transformation. His disciples have an undying devotion that doesn't fear death. Not afraid to declare that Jesus rose from the dead even when our lives are in danger. And here's Paul. Remember, Remember, he's standing here in chains. And his first concern is not his own freedom, is not his own comfort. He just wants to give glory to God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Sounds like a good mission, right? He wants to see other people come to Christ. In fact, he's sharing the gospel with King Agrippa here. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, and King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I love this. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am. Except for the change. Love that. Just seizing this opportunity, wanting somebody else's story to be changed by Christ. Paul's taking the gospel around the world, but he knows he's not alone. He knows he's not alone. He said in verse 22, this is my testimony. I just know that God's been with me to this day. I have had the help that comes from God. That's why I stand here testifying both to small and to great. That's the promise that Jesus made to us in the Great Commission. When he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, hey, don't miss this. Look at this. I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we were to sit down with you and we were to say, like, can we just, can you just tell me your story? Can you tell me what, what, what's been going on in your life? Would your story be evident that you have a new master? He's it. I've been overwhelmed by his grace. I don't want anything else. I want to follow him. Would it be evident that you're on mission? Would it be evident in your home? Would it be evident that, like, man, I want to see my home come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Would it be evident in the way that you interact with your neighbors? I'm here for a reason. God put me in Fairfax in northern Virginia for a reason, and I'm on mission. Would it be evident in the way that you go to work? We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image one degree of glory to another. He's going to make us more like Christ. So I think then it's appropriate for us as believers to take communion. We do that as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus took His disciples up into the upper room and He took some bread and He broke it and He told them, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. I invite you to come. We have bread. You can dip the bread in the juice, and you can take it there. You can take it back to your seat. We do this not because it's going to save us, but because we've been saved. And we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. If you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, then I'd ask you just not to partake of this because it's not wise or safe to say that you believe something that you really don't. But if you don't trust, if you've never trusted him for salvation, today might be your story. Maybe you're starting to realize, I need that. Jesus took your place on the cross. He died for your sin. You can ask him to save you. You can be forgiven today that his grace is going to change us. Father, would you make us more like yourself? We want to see your glory. Lord, we want to behold your majesty. Maybe we've had too small a view of you. We've come casually into your presence like it's no big deal. God, we confess that. Lord, we look and we see that you are holy, that you are the creator of the universe, that you are awesome. God, I pray that that glory would overwhelm us. and Even more right now, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by this grace that you still want to use us. I give you praise, so, Father, as we remember what you did for us today, the name of Jesus in our worship. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Why don't you come as we sing. Let's stand together. You come as we sing and let's take